Okay, and I think we're live. Just gotta double check, because I'm that paranoid weirdo. Let's look around. Yes, let's... Oh, should I look around awkwardly, too? Yes, yes. Yes, we are live. <laughs> uh, good evening, everybody. I'm uh, on with uh, Chip Spaulding for our segment of Ask the Industry Pro, and I use the word pro lightly with this one, people... Chip and I have known each other for a little over 20 years, um, going back to the old forum days with Jixer.com and R1 Forum, and um, I used to order parts from him when he worked at Ron Ayers. Um, now he's, I don't know, he's got a, he wears a lot of hats, but he's wearing the Champ School shirt. What is up, Chip Spaulding? How's it going, Connor? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, we were talking about doing this thing, and... Yep. You know, you and I, it's so bizarre, right? I mean, I we've literally known each other for over 20 years, and somehow yep. we, and now we both work for the Yamaha school, and somehow we've never ridden together. Like, what We've never ridden together. Yes, yes. Our, um, it's how in, interesting our 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 lives and our, our careers and stuff have, are intertwined. We, we do so much of the same stuff, um, and, you know, we... we We've been in the same property. We've hung out together uh, almost 20 years ago the first time, or more than 20 years ago the first time. Yeah. Um, but we've we've never ridden a motorcycle together, which is the strangest thing. Dude, it's bizarre. I think you were – dude, you've actually been out on the West Coast to teach at a school, and I was somewhere else that weekend. Like yeah. I had to mm – -hmm. I, was, I was invited to coach at that school. I was like, sorry, dude. I, I don't know. Laguna Portugal, last year. that podium club or whatever. Yeah. Right? Laguna last year, I think you were supposed oh, to come. Yeah, Laguna last year, I couldn't come because of something else. I, I forget, yeah. but same yeah, thing. Just, you know? just weird. Plus, only the special kids got the invite to coach at Laguna. You know, it was it wasn't so much the special rate. kids that everybody wanted to go. <laughs> right. right, right, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm sort of like, um, I guess you know, I've worked at the Yamaha School since fourteen, I think. Yeah. But I don't I don't work for them nearly as much as you do. I'm like the guest right. client dude. Right. Um what what's your role there with the Yamaha school now? Like Jeez. Um I guess the official title is business development. Okay. So I'm the, the sales guy, the, the run my mouth guy. And I'm also one of the partners. Oh, you're a partner in the school now. You're yep. one of the owners of the school. Yep. No shit. Congratulations. Fancy pants. I had no idea. Yep. <laughs> no wonder you're like all in with the school everywhere. Yep. Yep. So I mean, it's um, uh, I have a, I have a couple different clients, um, Millennium Technologies, um, in two track days, and all of their various activities, and then the school. Uh, but the school does take up a chunk for sure. Yeah, I mean it. The the school is definitely killing it the last year or so two years man you guys are, uh, yeah i mean you guys have just been clearing a path dude and there's a wake behind it it's awesome um yeah I mean, for a couple of reasons too um you know covid was a gift to the entire industry and you know, we can talk that. about that um people wanted to get out of the house yeah uh but also we kind of we changed the marketing uh where you know when you went to to, to chant school in 14 or I went for the first time in 16 uh, it was club racers and, and a group track day guys 
was was the whole school. I I would say what you're saying is more accurate for the original Champ School, uh, mm-hmm. the 20, uh, 2011, 09, 20, I don't know, like sure. before they went to Jersey when they were still based out in still Georgia, at Utah. Um, I would say that's pretty accurate there. When I was there. I don't know, man. We had a lot of students in Jersey that were brand, brand new that weekend, you know. And I'm like, sweet, it's not going to be that hard because I'm going to still learn this track. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to work that hard. I'm like learning um, the track in the van ride, you know. So, But the, the, uh, for sure now, I mean, you've been to to schools, you know, coached yeah. schools with us last year. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you go, one of the questions we ask in the beginning of the school is, you know, how many people have been on this track? And how many people have been on a track at all? And it's, you know, it's remarkable. Like, you know, right. we'll have four dudes put their hands up. We're like, this is fantastic. It's good for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's obviously a bigger market. You run out of club racers and, and A-group track day guys. So it's good for business. But it's also great that you have this many people getting experience and training on a track. Yeah. I mean, truthfully... You know, as a track day company owner myself, it'd be rad to have like everybody do that first, you know? Yes. Yeah, wouldn't it? But I mean, you know, being real, the, the, um, the price point for a lot of guys that are starting out is pretty high, you know? But at oh, the absolutely. same time, it's kind of worth it. I mean, it is, but I understand, I am, we absolutely understand. Uh, you know, pricing is a major objection. I mean, it's a it's a big investment to, yeah. to come to come to the school, um, which is why we we created that digital curriculum. So, you know, Champ U, uh, we made it in uh, in twenty. We shot it in twenty well, during COVID. Uh, we we had to postpone. We had to delay a indie school and postpone a Jersey school. And we said, well, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, we've always wanted to do this. So everybody flew out to, to Indy and for a week and we shot it and it took us a while to edit it, create a website and all this stuff like that. But the reason we created the, 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 the core curriculum, the champ, champ you was that, uh, to get away from those, those price, uh, those objections, right. price and, uh, you know, uh, having full safety gear, having leathers and, and all that good stuff was, a, is another objection you can learn there and you're living whether you have a bike or not, or, you know, whether you have access to a track or not, there's a ton of drills that you can learn and you can get a taste of what, of what we do. I mean, it's the whole curriculum. It's the two day school and oh, for sure. digital yeah. curriculum. You just miss, you know, Nick coming up to you and giving you helpful tips. Well, you also miss, um, massive amounts of Nick talking. Massive, massive amounts of massive. Nick talking. Um, you know, one of the cool things I've noticed about the school, like while we're like droning on about the school um, there's a couple things. Number one, I've noticed, like, from a promotional standpoint, you guys have Lamore out there. Just the dude has a camera in his hand, like, from the word go. Like, I mean, he is, like, in people's face. You know, like, he's been in my face a couple times. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. dude, do I have a book? Like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that and with the social media presence that you guys have with utilizing the, the, that uh footage i think it's i think it's separating you guys from everybody i mean it's nobody else is doing that so yeah i mean that was another another big change we kind of did in a few years ago was 
we give away the curriculum. I mean, if you really want to sit down and go through every Facebook and every Instagram and every YouTube stuff and piece yeah. it all together, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all, it's all yeah. there. It's, it's all little pieces, yeah. but it's all there. And um, because, you know, I mean, again, it's a huge, huge investment. I mean, a, a cheap school for us is two grand. An expensive school, like someplace like Laguna, is four grand. That's not including a rental and all this stuff. It's expensive. Right. It's a huge investment. So the question, you know, as the rider goes is, what am I going to learn here? Am I going to go out there and they're going to go, okay, well, you let the clutch out and then you pull the clutch back in. So demonstrating that we're providing providing value. We're going to teach you something that you may or may not know and give you coaching and input that's going to change the way you ride, make you safer and more confident and as a byproduct faster. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is, um, you know, in addition to what you're saying, is that um, I have no, I noticed that Thunder Hill earlier that, last year. Um, we had a bunch of students that were there that also had gone through the whole Champ U thing first. So they kind of had like a head start, you know? Yeah, well, every in-person school, we, we give away a, a copy of Champ U. You get a code to, to where you can go and do the digital curriculum. And we encourage everybody to please go through it before you show up at the school because it gives you time to internalize these concepts before you're sitting there on a bike and you're nervous and it's hot and there's a coach sitting there. And it's extraordinarily helpful yeah. in, in getting and taking advantage of the, of the two-day school. It's all part of it. All right, so um, I want to kind of talk a little bit about like our, the first time we actually met, because <laughs> we've yes. got some history here, man. Yes. <clears throat> so over twenty years of history, and um, basically we were in Daytona. Uh, I think it was like o two or o three, maybe. And yeah, my wife, something like my that. my wife and I were walking in through the tunnels on the. Um, I guess you would say the east side of the of the track, right? Or maybe the, I don't know. East side, that makes sense. Um, the the side closest to the end, the track. Yeah, it was back then. It was just that one tunnel. Yeah. So you either had to come up over the track on the backside or through the tunnel. So it was right. just that one. Uh, yeah, tunnel the back new then. tunnels that are different. That yeah, the I, new tunnels. Fit, I yeah. think the old tunnel was closed off last Daytona, maybe. Maybe yeah. Oh yeah, they were doing like concerts over there. Or something. Yeah. So. Uh, Which is a great jump, too. If you ever go to Daytona in the old tunnel, coming out of that tunnel is a fantastic jump in a rental car. So I'm going to have to ask Dan Boley about that next time I talk to him. <laughs> he absolutely knows. Yes. Okay. So the uh, you know we're walking through that tunnel, and um, I see Jeff Bostrom roll up. And he's like, dude, get in the back. So like we roll in, and Lily and I are walking around. And um, I think practice had already started that morning. And um, all of a sudden, Lily and I found ourselves in the middle of the paddock, and the sky opened up and basically just shit on us, like just like a massive amount of rain in like a super short amount of time. And we found ourselves basically in about three inches of water on the paddock at Daytona, and um, good times. And Lily and I were kind of scrambling, and then I hear off in the distance, Coiter! And so... I see you stick your head out of this dude's toy hauler, and you're like, come on over. And so, Lily and I, you, you, you basically rescued us 20 years ago uh, from a torrential storm at Daytona. We hung out in privateer racer Scott Carpenter's toy hauler for like two yep. hours. 
Yeah, that's uh, uh, SoCal people being in the southeast and not understanding that just because it's sunny one minute does not mean it's going to be a torrential downpour the next minute. And yeah. uh, yes, and uh, yeah, Scott was a Scott was a great dude. That was a I think that may have been my first or second Daytona. Oh really? Doing the ta- doing the the two hundred. Um, yeah, like you had mentioned, I I was uh, working at Ron Airs. I, I was doing their their internet parts thing, which was a big thing back then, and uh, I it started out really small and we grew it and they gave me some money to to do some marketing and uh, I started sponsoring some of the local racers and back then it was Lee Akery and Scott Harwell and Scott Carpenter were the were the big local dudes and, and Lee Akery was racing for ArcLight and FUSA and uh, Scott Harwell was racing for ArcLight. Um, and Scott Carpenter was doing his own thing. And so we sponsored Carpenter and I I wanted to go club racing and Carpenter. I worked out this deal where I would go with him and help him wrench on bikes and keep tires on them and, you know, keep gas in it and that sort of stuff. And then he would drag around my race bike and give me takeoffs and teach me everything he knew. And I, well, what a fantastic deal. You know, he's like, I'm going to show you how to do everything. But, you know, you make sure there's tires and warmers and fuel and all this stuff on my stuff. And then you can go do, do your stuff and I'll teach you everything. I know. It was really that got me into racing, got me into club racing. And Scott going, uh, Scott and I going to do, he would do the East Coast uh, AMA Pro races back then. And uh, he had a GSXR 1000 and a GSXR 750. And we'd run the 1000 in Formula Extreme. And we'd run the 750, and it was a 750 super stock bike, and run that in, in Superbike because it paid all the way back to, you know, 40,000. And so that's how we paid for the weekend, was running the two Superbike races. And then we'd run Formula Extreme, and he'd get a good result, and that's what we'd use in the press release. You know, Scott Carpenter finished his eighth at the <laughs> Big Kuna National. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so doing that was how I, how I met Kevin Hunt, who owns KWS Motorsports. And in 05, went down and moved here to Charleston uh, to run his team. And uh, very fortunate. He, uh, hey, Kevin has a very successful engine building business and was running the race team. And he had to make a decision because he was gone all the time running the race team. He lost so much money in the engine building business. And he's like, mm-hmm. I've either, I've got to hire somebody to stay here and build motors or I got to hire somebody to run the race team. And fortunately, I'm no good at building motors, so I got to run the race team. And so nice. that was kind of the next part of my career was running that race team for him from 05 to 09, really. And it kind of really killed it in 2010 with the, the Aprilia deal and sponsorship and all that stuff. Right, but, right. You know, yeah, fantastic I mean, experience. Uh, you know, going back to those days, you know, like you were saying, the run errors thing. <laughs> I can totally remember ordering so many parts from you just because of Jixer.com. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we were the only ones at that point that had Microfish online, which was yes. a huge deal. Yes. And, um, you know, we did sponsorship on all those forums, and it was just a gold mine. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird thinking back about the forums back then, you know, Jixer.com, the R1 <laughs> forum. And, you know, we were just a couple of dipshits in our early 20s trying to figure shit out, right? Squids. Yeah, idiots. Total squids. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of a squid. 
Mm, you kind of are yeah. too. I yeah, mean, yeah. You, we are on Team Broken Back, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're in our forties, still doing this crap. Um, but you know, what's weird back then versus now? Um, because we know better and we're old and wise. For, um, and I, I'm saying that loosely. Anybody that knows me knows better. <laughs> but we used to. We used to weigh people's uh, opinions on those forums based on their post count. So, like, mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, Stan Bowley could go on there and be like, no, it's actually this. And because he had two posts, they'd be like, who are, who's this guy? Who's this squid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, it, like, it was the beginning of the internet. Yes. For that genre, you know, beginning of the internet for motorcycle conversations online. And so, if you've been there longer, by six months, you probably knew more than the guy who'd only been there a week. And that was the logic there. And right. It, we make a joke about it during the school, you know, the track day professor. Right. The track day professor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, there's always the myth busting that goes on in the school, which was always fun. Right. But, um, you know, I just, I just remember seeing you because I was hustling the track day program that I had just mm-hmm. started back then. Because I think we were on Trickster.com in 2000, which is so so bizarre. Yes. So, I mean, I was using the forums to hustle the track day thing, right? Because the local bike I, night scene wasn't enough. Like, I wanted more. Well, the 750, had, the, the new 750 had just come out. And that's yeah. why that forum exploded, because we all went out and bought one. Yeah, yeah. Stupidly, we bought one and didn't wait for the 01. Right, just, yes, yes. Yeah, we didn't know. Right? We didn't know. We we asked the track day professor. He didn't know. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, <laughs> we didn't know it was going to be that. Well, no, back then, I mean, you, if you recall, like, that was like bike of the year for a cycle yeah. world, right? And like back then, I mean, no offense to the magazine dudes, but like they don't pay attention to that shit anymore. Like, no, not mm. really. I mean, you know, the the journalists back then. I mean, I remember Motorcycle.com had a bbs back then like every time there was a every time they have a shootout or something they would have uh, like a bbs you know so you could comment about the article and then it would become its own forum basically right right bbs (laughs) right well i mean those all that stuff you know people are still creating motorcycle content people still want to know whether the R7 is better than the RS660. It's just not done on a paper magazine anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a few. You know, John's still doing his thing. Yep. Relatively successful. John works for Racing World. Go out and get your subscription. Um, but, uh, you know, these content creators have gone to different places. It's now YouTube or their own, or, you know, what's happening with, uh, like, uh, RevZilla. Right. Right. Revzilla's a online e retailer like we were back then with Ron Ayers, but right. they have their own media wing. Yeah, that's uh, Ar- Ari and Zach, right? Yeah, Ari-, Ari and Zach are running that. But uh, my friend Jen Dunstan. Yeah, Dunstan. Um, yeah, I know her. She works the for. Circle's him. small, brother. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. This industry is so <laughs> incestuous. Witness our relationship of 20 plus years. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We I mean, hang around also, long enough. We all know each other. There's also like a newer type of creator too i mean these guys have a huge following but i mean uh the yami the yami noob guys right mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like yeah, we dudes, work with those guys. Um, I mean, I watched I watched some of their videos occasionally just because they did such a good job with the Yamaha school. But mm-hmm. you know, lately I've been watching some of their stuff, and they they're the type of guys that seem to be newer to the sport. And so some of the things they say are a bit a little bit, eh. but like they're cool and um and they're fun. You know what I mean? So it's like that. They have of... an they have a massive audience. Yeah, they do, dude. And it's like millions, and right? Like they have a massive audience, <laughs> and they're engaging with that audience. Yes. So whether you think it's cringy or not doesn't matter. No, I didn't say it was cringy. I said it was like well, well, just eh, you know. Eh, I mean, it's eh. not, I'm not really. I'm probably not. Mo- the their target audience you know no, um, we're not no no we're old so you know but i appreciate having somebody like that help drive people to the sport even though those guys yes. kind of do shit on sport bikes on the regular and they're all about nakeds well you know what though but that's what's happening uh, in the showroom too so it, uh, sport bikes are in such a bad place i'll go ahead and say it the they've been constricted by racing regulation all right so it's well i want to get a sport bike do i get a, a 600 or a 1000 why does it have to be a 600 or 1000 oh well because of world super sport that's why it's going to be right. 600 or, or you know super bike's got to be a thousand so they're 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 limited in flavors and then those flavors are so well refined and they're so good that they're better than what the actual consumer wants. Right. And so, yeah, uh, so Roger Hayden, uh, uh, as guest instructed with the school, you know, fantastic person. And Roger, we were, we were at uh, Palm Beach and one of our uh, cats in Pell, you, you know, cat, she came I out with so. a, yeah, yeah, yeah. She came out with a, a Ducati right? V4S or V4 pasta whatever uh the the whamma jamma v4 ducati <laughs> the super duper and she let roger ride. okay she let roger ride it and he came in and we're, we're sitting there talking about it and we're joking and he's like i could have won super bike races back when we were racing so referencing like 2008 you know he was racing a factory works cage khi Kawasaki, you know, right. Um, he's like, this bike, that this girl just rolled out of the showroom and rolled out of the back of her pickup truck with a license plate on it. I could win super bike races on this thing. If you could go back to 08. If you could go back to 08, but Roger, do you think Roger's a, a, you know, a better rider or a worse rider, you know, now? He's still no. fantastic. You no, know? absolutely not. But, but the point being is that the product has been, it's so much better. Than it yeah. was back then, but now you apply. Who are we selling it to? Right. We're not selling it to Roger Hayden. No. We're selling it to a. We're supposed to be selling it to like a 22 year old kid who just got his first job or is, you know, uh, a spec four in the army and, and you know, it's going to ride it to Starbucks or the bike night. It's the worst tool in the world for that. Right. Yeah. There. I mean. It seems lately the industry is kind of going more like a sort of like a resurgence of the late 80s, early 90s situation where there's like a, you know, back then there was like the 
famous FZR 400, right? Like sure. everybody still talks about how great that bike was. And when I first started racing, there was still quite a bit of them, you know? And, um, now, you know, sort of like the 400 class is kind of filling that role, but it seems like Cowie's bringing over that four cylinder one. So we'll see how that mm-hmm. goes. You know, well, I, I'm that just four really... cylinder one's going to spark another <sighs> nuclear arms race. I, I, well, you know, I, I was I so. really excited about the the R seven. You know, to me, to me, the R seven was a CBR six hundred F two okay. or F three. Actually, uh, I think I I think I could go faster lap times on the R seven than I could. Uh, than maybe, I could but I mean, you know, steel frame. <laughs> yeah. Rudimentary suspension, rudimentary brakes, rudimentary wheels, no electronics, and a price point that you could just kind of go in and. And buy it, right? Uh, it's under ten grand. So, I mean, there was a reason why we sold a gajillion CBR six hundreds, you know, right? Or six hundreds back then. Yeah, I, back you know, then, I've got six hundreds for six grand. You know, yeah, yeah, but they were six grand because, quite frankly, they were crappy. But well, the thousands back then were nine grand. You know, <laughs> but they looked cool. Yes, right. A six hundred looked cool. It had bodywork on it. Yeah, it had flashy graphics on it. And you could do Papa Wheelies on it. Yes, you could. It would go fast, right? Yeah. And so you think about the appeal to somebody who wants to buy something like that. That's your customer. That's what right. you deliver. Yeah. And so well, we've I gotten... mean, you know, when the R when the R seven came out, you know, I I was reserving judgment um, until I actually got to ride the thing. But you know, I mean, the spec sheet people shit all over the R seven when it came out, right? Well, the internet was broken for like a couple weeks after the R seven was launched because they're like, "Oh, it's blasphemy." It's not an R. It's not a real R seven. Yeah, and yeah. none of those people rode a real R seven either. I was just gonna say, I, I've had the privilege <laughs> of riding some really good R sevens, and most people haven't. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I uh, Stamboli still has two of them in the shop, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, FX bikes with R1 engines in them, yep. but they're missing lots of, um, parts to make them runnable. But, you know, every couple of years she's, you know, we try to talk him into doing like a modern vintage race or something with one, but then he would just have to divert time to that. And he doesn't have the time to do that. So like yeah, my buddy's, I've got a friend of mine that's got a bunch of that stuff and is very nice enough to let me ride it. It's yeah. all fantastic. But like, a stock R7 back then wasn't any good anyway, by the way. If, dirty secret. Do tell. Uh, a, G- a GSXR1, a GSXR750 would kick the snot out of a stock R7. Like, just destroy it. Not even. Yeah, I mean. But as a super bike, it was really good. Right? Most of the people that were shitting on the current R7 um, also had never seen the OG R7 in, in real life before. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's something to be said for that as well. I mean, you know. Racing at Willow Springs, there was a dude that would bring one out. Like, he was kind of a wealthier guy. I think his name was Richard Headley. And, um, dude, he had, funny. like, the the uh, the SP or the race version of the RC51. He had that. Yep. And he yep. raced, club raced. This guy was, like, the epitome of gentleman racer, you know. But he was fast, too. I think he... He might have gotten the number one plate from WSMC back then. But, I mean, that's the kind of guy that you would see. The only other ones I would see was the Richards, obviously, and then yep. the Graves ones later. That's it. Like, 
you don't really see too many of those out in the wild, you know, except for on TV watching Isle of Man, right? You'd see like well, kind of a street rented looking one. They were kind of sold as collectors, you know, the, the homologation specials. So right. very few people just bought it and wrote it. Like people bought them and yeah. put them in the garage, you know, so they don't, they don't pop up very often. They were either, you know, trailer queens or, or they got turned into race bikes. Yeah. Yeah, so after after riding the R7, and I the told I told uh, Tom Nemec, you know, from Yamaha, I was like, yeah, dude, I don't know, man. Sounds a little turdy on paper. And then he's like, well, then take it. You know, Tracy was like, take it. Yep. And uh, so, you know, I take I take it out. I take their bike out at our track day at Laguna. And it's got, I think it's, I think it had the OEM. I, I think it might have had Pirelli's on it. That's it. The only mod they did was put Pirelli's on it. And they're here, go have at it. First time going into turn two, like the first full lap, you go into turn two, and I'm like pancake already. I'm like, okay, this thing kind of works, you know? And so I get off the thing. I, I you know, I had a great time on it. And I, I, I just, eyes wide open to both Tom and Tracy, and I took my helmet off, and they were just laughing at me. They are like, see, we told you, you know? Um, well, and it's... The, I think the thing about it is, you know, I did the same thing. Wrote, wrote the first time at New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I thought my my takeaway was, you know, I touched my knee down in the third corner with it. You know, it was yeah. like, hey, this is a real sport bike. You can do real sport biking yeah. things with this, right? It's not, a, it's not a crappy budget bike with bodywork on it. It's a real sport bike. Right. Um, but the biggest takeaway for me, for me was just like riding it around is that it's not a horrible street bike. Like the R6, the reason why they don't make that or sell it as street bikes anymore is because it was not a good street bike. Like it was uncomfortable and it didn't work below 10,000 RPM and it it was very stiff and it was all this good stuff. Absolutely my favorite bike in the world to ride on a racetrack. But there's only so many people that want to ride them on the racetrack. Right. They're, Yamaha's in the business of making money. Right. So they need to sell them for the street. Yeah. And the R7 is infinitely a better street bike than an R6. I agree with that too. I don't really ride on the street anymore. It's been right. like 20 years for me, but um, yeah, totally get it. And you know what? They were proven correct because I think they sold every damn one of them that they had. Like, every single I think one they, they sold most in. of them before they even hit the shores. Yeah. Like pre I mean, so what I'd like to see from the industry is more of the, for the sport bike side especially, but is uh, more flavors. Stop building stuff just for whatever the race class is and build stuff to be street bikes. You know, um, I, I, 165 horsepower, 10 grand, 11 grand, no electronics within reason. I mean, they have to put this, this nonsense on so there. You're for, describing the MT10 with bodywork, yeah. I mean, okay. the, the, the dudes want the bodywork. I mean, uh, you just talk about the, the, the upright stuff we're starting to see it you know i don't know about with your club but you know into on the east coast we're starting to see more of the the mts and stuff like that come out but i get to ride it all the time at the school and it's unbelievable how capable those motorcycles are yeah and i all the time look at these people who are showing up at track days of the school and they've got the latest greatest v4 rrr and i'm going what a waste of time that thing is. Like, this MT-10 is way more comfortable. You, 
you'll go faster on it because it's not as harsh and trying to kill you all the time. It just I don't understand why people don't I mean, ride with those things more. You know, track. you know me, right, Chip? So like, you know, I spend a lot of time on the FZ10. I call it the two-up sled. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got it kind of pimped out. We got cartridges on it, auto blip, you know, mm-hmm. like shock with a huge spring on it because I do two-up rides on it on the yep. regular. Mm-hmm. I do over two-up rides a year. So, yeah, what you're describing is um, exactly – I mean, just imagine the look on their face, you know, when they're on that whatever that is. And um, somebody on, um, on an MT-10 passes them with a passenger i see it at every school i mean oh, and, yeah. and i know you've Bro. you've had the unfortunate experience of having kyle or chris go around you on the outside full lock on a 2014 fz1 <clears throat> oh yeah and it and it's yeah. just it's just painful and embarrassing yeah how quickly they go on those things yeah i mean look you know i i thought that the first time i was at the yamaha school in 2011 at Utah and Shane Turpin was out on the FZ one. And I was just like, dude, I didn't know those things could go like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Turp was, um, is, let me rephrase that is a beast on a motorcycle, you know, mm. period. Yes. But the thing is like, you know, with the school, it's all about the fundamentals. You just, you know, it's not an emotional thing. It's you follow the playbook and it, and, and it works if you listen. Right. And, and look, I am all for buying a cool motorcycle and tricking it up. Yes. Absolutely. That is a, I, I have an R6 in the garage that is pretty much everything you can do to it. And uh, absolutely love the thing. So go out and do that. But you don't need to do that to go have fun on a racetrack or go have fun on a motorcycle. So, you know what? I'm going to go with that uh, when you're talking about like what. So you have an R6 in the garage. What else, what else are you working with over there in um, Casa D Spalding? Oh, just my, my little my little collection. I don't have much these days. I've got Ooh. I've got the R6, which I love. I've got a little CRF 100 that I built to go uh, ride around Josh Aaron's house. Okay. Ten years ago, he's got a track in his backyard yeah. here in Georgia. He lives in, in 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 Cali now most of the time, but um, we built it for that, and uh, I've had it for uh, forever. And I don't think I've ever ridden it without crashing it. Um, it, it, It's it's the play bike. It's the practice bike. The whole point of that thing, yeah. The whole point of that thing is you know to push the ride around the whole track, pushing the front and stuff like that. Um, So that and uh, I just got rid of a woods bike and a YZ250F. Oh, okay, a woods bike. Yes, we have woods here in in the southeast. They're trees. They're made of green stuff, and we go ride in the woods. Got it. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I live in SoCal. Yes. It's like desert, basically. Right? It's desert, or yeah. Well, and you guys are you know, all motocrossing. Right. I don't do motocrossing. I, I don't either, bro. I don't even ride in the dirt at all anymore. Like I'm just over it. I love riding in the dirt. I love riding in the woods. Dirt's the wood, the woods to me is like, uh, squidly street riding. Right. So you, you get to go really fast in like this kind of like endless. It's not a it's not a tracker that you go in a circle and memorize. You're just kind of making it up as you go. Uh, but there's no cops and there's no cars and there's no. I almost hit a, a boar one time though. That that was interesting. It was a big, giant thing. Like a wild boar. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so dude, I uh, while we're talking about this, 
we have a we have a post uh, commenter, and mm. um, his his username is eight forty eight evo, and he okay. he kind of he's kind of backing up what we said uh, about the SZR four hundred. He said he said that bike was all that, mm-hmm. and he's like, do you think a stock new R seven could turn a faster lap time than a stock F two or F three? And I said maybe. Maybe yeah, it, that's hard to say because I haven't ridden one of those things in in forever. I mean, the R sevens are are really good. They're a little soft stock. That's really about the only thing I could. So was the Honda six hundred. I had, one. but that's kind of where I'm going with it. Like yeah. I, I, my suspension memory is not that good. Well, I just um, I, my sus. Well, I had an F three too, and I I actually raced. I club raced one that I had bought yeah. back from the insurance company after mm-hmm. totally in on the street. Just leave it at that. Um, but I, you know, I remember the suspension being really soft. The rear shock stock was pretty trash. Um, and then I also am the guy that had D. Wayne Jones revalve the forks, and he engraved <laughs> his name and phone number into the fork tubes. So nice. I don't nice. know if you remember that. But... No, that's good though. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you've been around for a while, so that that dude, you may have crossed paths with that dude back in the day too. You know, mm, doesn't ring a bell. Trying to engraving your name in fork tubes is pretty, pretty that's, good. I mean, you know, a sticker is good enough, right? Like, I mean, you're really proud of your stuff. You put a sticker on there, right? Go. Like, yeah. And it and it wasn't even nice. It was like he did it by hand. It was just like, oh, I, I've got, I, I've got, <laughs> I've worked, I would, I've worked with suspension guys that wouldn't. If I brought them those tubes, or brought them those forks, and asked them to revalve them, yeah, they would make me get new fork tubes. Yeah, well, like I work, I've worked with suspension guys that are that picky. You know what I mean? Like, right? You, you can't. I'm not doing this. You got to get me a new tube. This is garbage. <laughs> this is ruined. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. You know, like you just kind of the now now people are flooded with information. Any at their fingertips. Anything they look for. But back then, dude, we didn't know anything. We didn't know none. This racer guy says. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm in my 20s, and this fast guy says to use this guy, and I'm like, okay. You know, and then I get my forks back like that. So, speaking of that, I mean, you know, I work with N2 Track Days for uh, their track day business, and then they have, uh, uh, we run the National Endurance Series. Yeah. And you guys have track days on the West Coast, and then you have your own race series. Well, I have a part, I have a bunch of partners to well, I'm part. I'm involved in a race series. But, there, but it's the, the question is still relevant. I don't. I don't need to see the uh, the operating agreement to know what percentage of ownership you have. Uh huh. Yeah. The, the, the question is still valid though. Is um, what have you seen over the last three or four years? I mean, for us, it's been incredible. I mean. I would say it was incredible since two, 2020 until this past year. Like in, this past okay. year is kind of tough on us. Um, okay. You know, like I'm hoping to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like we've made a, we've had to make massive adjustments to the way we promote things um, and just kind of continuously evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have high hopes for it. You know, I'd like to keep doing this. Um, I'm having a good time doing it. But at the same time, you know, if we have another tough year like we did last year, maybe we'll start questioning, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. What do you think is the contributing factor? I mean, is it 
travel gas crisis in California can't be helping anything. But well, that I would say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna like get on here and get all political or whatever. Because yeah, yeah, like, we gotta skip that. <clears throat> you yeah. can you can read that if you want to. But I mean, I just sure. you know I see that. Um, Putting it this way, you know, when I would fill up all the jugs of fuel for the for the weekend or whatever for the track day company or for for one track day, I would I would bring like sixty gallons of fuel for between the bikes right, or whatever, right. and um, and it, you know it used to be like under two hundred bucks or right around two hundred bucks, right? And now it's like quite a bit more than that, you know, like quite a bit more than that, so. You know, I mean, if that's happening to me, then that's happening to Joe Track Day guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, then that then that guy is making making um, choices based on what he can afford, he or she can afford at the moment. And um, so, yeah, that's that's I think yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, fuel prices come down a little bit here since last summer, but man, last summer mm-hmm. was tough, dude. I could imagine. Well, you know, I, 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 I could imagine because I ran trail, trucks and trailers through California to do schools there. So yeah. I know what we spent in fuel. Oh, I know. Last yeah. year, and it's obscene. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we did that. We hosted that Laguna event, you know, the first class oh, yeah, yeah, there yeah. in like 40 years or something. And, you know, we had people, we, we still ended up with people from all over the country and Canada, I think, too. I think we had one Canadian somehow sneak down. I think he drove through somehow and nobody stopped him. So, I mean, <laughs> and, um, but we also, you know, we also had a lot of people from out of state that canceled their entry because they were like, dude, we didn't realize that gas was going to be like seven bucks a gallon. You know, I mean, that's, you know, so, I mean, we probably would have had 300 people there. 300 races are easy if, if gas wasn't seven bucks a gallon. So, yeah. you know, well, the the theme with the with the OEMs and just kind of around the industry, yeah. you know, COVID was a gift for for motorcycle. We've already said that yes. it brought in an enormous amount of new interest and new customers, and we sold a whole lot of stuff, you know, as an industry. Yeah. And so the 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 theme around the industry has always been, well, we've given given this gift it is now our job to retain them. Yeah. And you know, I'm convinced that. You know, getting them trained properly is obviously a, you know, a, a big thing, but keeping them riding. Yeah. And, you know, on the sport bike side, we've got to get them out to the racetrack because that's the only place to ride these things now. Yeah. And it, it's, um, you know, there's a couple of comments coming in, but, you know, I mean, Go for it. these, these bikes are, I mean, could you imagine riding like a pimped out R, a proper R1 on the street, dude? Like. No, we we built one. Yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, one of my and friends, so you know Millennium, Millennium Tech, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, uh, Millennium Technologies. Uh, we so we do engine stuff. Um, so uh, the the core business is nickel silicone carbide plating on the inside of cylinder bores. Your R one cylinders aluminum, but you have to have a, a plating on the inside to keep the rings from wearing out. And so uh, we did a big work kit for, <laughs> for for an R one. We we do uh, cylinder head work, so porting and uh, you know CNC valve jobs and uh, micro polishing for all the ferrous parts and everything like this, and tuning and you know pipe that sort of stuff. Two eighteen on pump gas. Yeah. 
on pump gas. Yeah, dude. And that bike's still running around. That bike's got like 16,000 miles on it. That's hilarious. I mean, I it's, know that... It's ridiculous. You know, like you said, Yosef, same thing. Yosef's built uh, over at the shop. And yeah. Attack, yeah. I, I know he built like a an overboard R1 and yep. like a drag racer dude. I can't remember if there was a turbo involved, but the thing was insane. He's like, dude, this thing makes so much power. And he like rides it on the street. I was like, what? yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You know, com- comparing the, the, the bikes from now, like you said, Roger Lee could win on, he thinks he could win on the, if he had that Ducati back then. Right. Um, like talk a little bit about that, like how the, how how you've viewed the the evolve the evolving class, so to speak, of the bikes. You know, I mean the six hundred got insane, street. the thousands got insane. I mean, they come stock with like electronics that you had to spend a lot of money to get before, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, sitting on pit wall at He's Barber in about the dotted line. I was gonna. In 05. Yeah. I don't know which one this one. But um, the the Yosh bikes and the Jordan bikes coming out of the last corner at Barber going, pow, 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 and looking over at Amar Bazaz going, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. You're not supposed to have traction control. And yeah. he's like, <laughs> and then, you know, the next year he's like, hey, would you like to buy this box with, you know, this rudimentary yeah. traction yeah. control on it? And oh man, we just thought we were the bee's knees, you know, running this bizarre traction control. Yeah. And you know, this stuff is so rudimentary. I mean, it's Lego blocks compared to what I mean. The stuff, the GTYR stuff in the R1, like it's ridiculous. I, I mean, know. the capabilities are all. It's all the same capabilities that we were using on, you know, Magneti Morelli stuff mid 2010s you know the standalone MotoGP world superbike stuff the only difference is the the processing speed on the r1s not as on the oem ecus not as fast and so the resolution for what it could do how quickly it could do it is not as good so you can't get as fine-tuned but to get that good it takes so much time and effort and, right. and richard well i mean there, there's more people doing the electronics thing now you know you got chloe doing it there's a bunch of um, darren marshall is uh, darren marshall genius he's a dude he's definitely the gene he's the genius on the team even you know like he yeah no i i got to i got to work with darren uh with kyle's superbike program and uh dude very smart guy uh very interesting to work with on on how he how he interprets data how he prioritizes data because that's always the, the hard yeah. part is uh, is not getting in the weeds with it you know he dumps so much information on it and darren was always really good about going i want to look at this 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 and this oh, that's what we were looking for and yeah. i was like oh man it, it would have taken me i'd have had to look at five more things yeah. you know and like he's he's really good 10 more things probably is, i mean yeah you're, yeah. Right, you're right <laughs> 20. so you know i mean <laughs> You know, talking about that, I, I think I remember one of your posts. Like, I'm I'm going to the Wayback Machine here. So, like, oh. this is like, a, you know, the rules. There was a lot of controversy and stuff. And I can remember you shutting some guy down with just a picture from that pit wall. And the picture was of the dotted line that the Yoshimura bike left at the corner exit. 
and you're yeah. like, see, you're going to tell me that that's not traction control? Like, the dude's leaving a dotted line on the ground, dude. Like, yes. you know, you remember, like, it'd be in the mid-corner, and get on the gas, and it'd be like, pop, 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 and they'd leave a dotted line with the skid marks. <laughs> I forgot how the rule was written. They really, I, I don't, I don't want to throw anybody from Yosha under the bus, because they weren't cheating, because the way the rule was written was right. weird. I, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with, you couldn't, control engine output by inputs from front and wheel rear wheel cylinders right. or wheel sensors front yeah. rear wheel sensors and that's not how that traction control was working what it was doing is it, it had a uh it used a baseline for engine acceleration yes so this is as fast as the in engine acceleration while final. pushing a wheel yeah. and if it exceeds that then your your rate of change is greater than it should be right and it starts cutting power and it was just cutting ignition i mean like yeah but it, it, it made really cool looking dotted lines, and I'm so glad that you went there. I was like, you just, it was, it, I teed you up, dude, and you're just like, bink. <laughs> it made uh, it made really cool noises too. Yeah, it did. Cool. Yeah, it did. And you know, <clears throat> I mean, there there was kind of uh, you know, there was, let's just say there was a lot of shenanigans back in the day with the rules, right? Like, I mean, you know, there was that video the other day with the with that car wash dude washing that Pete guy's. 600 right oh that's, the the yeah the, the, that's the guy you're talking yeah. about right yeah yeah yeah. No, i've written he's that guy that's that, good he's the guy that has all the cool stuff right yeah so that yeah. peak guy i guess he's got that old 600 but i think if i'm not mistaken that bike may have been was that the 07 oh wait that was 08 so that was not the one that richard has a chrome crankshaft from cowie on his desk at work um because no think 07, that was 07 was the josh hayes got protested and they was that 07 or 06 because he had a uh, pete had an 06 too that oh, was the black shit. carbon one yeah um yeah no i mean those bikes weren't that weren't that bad with the shenanigans because they're fx rules yeah hey look if you're going to do uh i was just having this conversation the other day if you're going to do race rules if you don't want people to cheat have less rules yeah so the more rules you have the more opportunity you give me to cheat or, or right. find some gray area or something like that. And that's, right. those FX rules were, were pretty wide open back then. Right. But like um, Pete's got a few of those those super bikes uh, from back then. He it, those uh, he has a Doug Chandler, or had a Doug Chandler R, or ZX7RR. Yeah. And so I, I think I mentioned earlier with Raj. So a ZX7 from you buy from Kawasaki had a VIN number on it that said Kawasaki on it. Right. If you, the super bikes uh, didn't say anything Kawasaki. It said KHI, Kawasaki Heavy Industries on it. Right. And and th that bike is so remarkably different <laughs> than the than a ZX7R. Oh, I mean, it's just not on the same planet. It's a it's a it's ridiculous. Yeah, back then, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of remember everybody's bikes being that way, right? The super bike class. You know the Yamaha, Cowies, Hondas, Suzuki's. Everything. Yeah, they were all they were like, all they called built them in Japan. R thousand, but it was or seven fifty, but it, you you pull that thing and you couldn't take any part on that bike and fit it on the OEM bike, including the cases. Like they're mm -hmm. completely different motorcycles. It's like a GP. Yeah, bike. no, they're, they're, yeah, they're, I mean they really were. They were built in Japan, as specifically to be race bikes. They were yeah. never street bikes and they used to back then they would go they would go fly everybody to japan they would go get trained on them 
Yeah. And then they would go to Sepang and go ride around for two days, go shake them down, and they come to the U.S. And, I mean, depending on what the OEM was, would determine how much they could do with them once they got to the U.S. I mean, Honda switched at one point to building the superbikes in-house. Yeah. Because, like, I think uh, HRC wouldn't let, it, wouldn't let them change the, the clutch uh, basket height. Yeah. They're like, just don't even open that. Change the oil in it. Don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. If you've got a problem with it, send it back. We'll fix it and we'll send it back. You don't mess with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was back when um, you know, there's a comment, you know, the A48 Evo guy um, reminds me of this too. But, you know, back then, the super bikes racing in the US were like half a million dollar Japanese leased bikes, right? Like, I mean, you know, we, we saw, you're at Willow Springs, I think, in 2000. Actually, one of my partners with CRA was the guy that promoted that. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the 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 old Willow Springs two hundred. No, no, the, I'm talking about the, the national AMA Pro Race. The very last Superbike National that was at Willow was in two thousand. And so that was that was two thousand because two thousand one got canceled because of nine eleven. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Look and at us being old people. What? <laughs> Look at us being old people. I know, right? No, but the the trick stuff on the bikes man i mean you know i can't remember which rider it was i think it might have been miguel but like he stacked one of he stacked one of those hondas and they were saying it was like half million dollar honda and he like end over end stacked the thing and hacker mm-hmm. too like jamie hacking stacked an r7 out in turn eight i think and just yep. ah, you know it's like half million dollar bikes just like boom oops <laughs> well, I think the way those things work, and I'm, I'm sure each OEM was a different contract and had a different deal and that sort of stuff. But yeah. my understanding and working with those those folks back then was they gave you it was a lease price per rider, and so it's, you got a two rider superbike team. You need four motorcycles. You need this many spares. This much crash stuff. The motors get serviced in these intervals write the check for this amount yeah and then crates show up and so yes it may have been a half a million dollar lease yeah but when he cartwheeled that bike they didn't spend a half a million dollars no 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 right you, saying, you see what i mean like yeah yeah that's but, totally um and uh and that's why like the, the bikes like the pete has are kind of rare and in between is because because they were leases they all had mm. to go back to japan nice so those factory bikes, they you don't get those. They come back to Japan, they get crushed. Was also part of a it's a Japanese tax thing. Like they had. So I'm getting a couple of comments from uh, Go. Bobby Levitt. <laughs> Bobby, um, yes. First of all, I just gotta give a shout out to Bobby for the Boxo Tools thing. Um, sitting mm, yeah. behind me, over here, is a giant roll away toolbox thing that some lucky CRA racer is going to take home with them at round one for last season. So, um, first of all, just got to get that out of the way. Thanks a lot, Ricky Bobby. For they were really nice stuff. They helped us out with the endurance that. series. Yeah. They helped us out with the endurance series. And I was shocked by how nice the tools were. And everything. Dude, they're, they're legit, man. That's like, shit. Dude, yeah. It's like, got some weight to it. You know? Yeah. But basically, he says that um, he's going to protest your R6 at the next track day because he knows you're running an epoxy head and a two millimeter kit. <laughs> Nothing to comment on. Bring your 
but it's attractive, right? So I was, you know, if it's a club race, I go bring your five hundred bucks, come find out. Yeah, I'll yeah. use your boxo tools to take the head off. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. So that's kind of funny. And then you know, to add to our previous part of the discussion, talking about the cost of things, you know, um, basically uh, a couple guys are talking about how fuel and tires this past year was the biggest kick in the ass. So. Yeah, I mean, tires. Uh, tires have always been expensive. I don't know. And they now seem, they they seem like the same price to me. I mean, I don't know. Like, Ty, well, tires have always been expensive. expensive. But I mean, dude, but like I'm just I think looking they've gone at it from back in the day. You know, let's just say when I switched to Dunlop for the, you know, in like '01, I think, or something '02, maybe. You know, I, I switched to Dunlop and I rode Dunlops through 2006 and. I think Dennis Smith was charging me like damn near 400 bucks a set for those things like back then. And now that's, yeah, isn't it? They've I mean, always been expensive. They're about 450 a set now. Right. I mean, ish, but I will say this much uh, for track day dudes. And I don't know what the, the Pirelli equivalent is. Cause I don't run that trash, but oh, dude, <laughs> you're talking wrong. You, I know I got to forget that either for you. Um, no, that's good. But all the guys in Pirelli, right? Pirelli Nation. Um, but Pirelli Nation. but uh, the the Dunlop Q tires, yeah, are fantastic, and they last forever. And if you're concerned that you're not going to be able to go fast enough on a, on a Q tire, come out and watch Kyle or Chris or Isaiah. Oh, dude. Ride yeah. on those things, and if you can keep up with them for two laps on an MT10 on a Q tire. All right, cool. Maybe you need slicks, but I mean, truthfully, the... you know, I I was at the the tire test recently. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, Bumwell. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I was doing timing and scoring, but our guys didn't really ride till the afternoon, so I got to watch what was going on. And I talked to Bryce Prince mm-hmm. a little bit, and he was telling me like he's like, dude, these tires are actually pretty good. You know, like they're really really good. I think uh, the boys they put. They put those tires on a super bike. Yeah. With the Q tires on the super bikes. And I think, dude, Cam and Jake both went times that would have won any club race in the last probably 10 years on those Q tires. They're, they're, but uh, that's where I was going with, you know, track day guys <laughs> and, and club racers. Are like, if you want to save money on tires, don't go for, you know, slicks and, and, you know, the softest tire you can get, like learn to ride on a, on a Q tire. They have a ton of grip, super predictable. I mean, when they, when you get to the edge, they tell you, you know, when they start, when they start getting worn out, they'll tell you it's great tire. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Pirelli's got like a track day tire that they have, mm-hmm. and, you know, a few years ago they had us run this, um, I think it was called the DC three or something like that. And that tire, I mean, dude, we, it was amazing, like, how fast you could go on that thing. And it looked like a street tire, kind of like the Q tire does. Um, but we want to do, we want to do something for the, for the Champ U curriculum. We really want to do, well, we've got a bunch of stuff coming out. Oh. In the next year. Okay. Um, but I really want to do something, uh, maybe as part of a tractor or a racer curriculum or something like that. But I really want to do something on tires. You know, specifically have, you know, Dave Podowski from Chicken Hawk come out and talk about warmers and, you know, Dunlop come out and talk about tires because without a doubt, the most 
other than the rider, the most important single component on the motorcycle, and without a doubt, the most misunderstood single component on the motorcycle. Like, you, oh, we dude. probably... It's going back to the forums, but it's, it's, instead of forums, it's Facebook groups and, you know, Reddit now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And they're they're asking the same questions. They're asking the same questions. They're doing this. What tire pressures do I run? Yeah. Well, that's not a fixed answer. Depends on what tire you're running, right? What tire is it? What what temperature, temperature is it? What are you doing with it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, we really want to do something with that online curriculum. I, I would like to do something with that online curriculum to do to educate people more on tires. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to get quicker, go get trained how to ride the motorcycle properly. If you want to do something with your motorcycle, learn how to operate the tire properly. Go hang out with the tire dude at the track, whatever brand you choose, listen to what they say. That's the key. Yeah, I mean, look, the tire thing, you know, I, I've been a Pirelli program since 2009. Like I, you know, except for the times I work for the Yamaha school um, or when I, when I get to ride Richard's Superbike. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's cool. It's, it's pretty fucking rad, even though I wrote it like a scared little child. But, um, you know, you've seen Richard. He's scary. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've been riding nothing but Pirelli's since oh, nine. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where uh, I, I can't really give any info about anything else because I don't know anything else. You know, I, I know what I know. Sure. I know what I feel. Right. And I can provide that in, with what we have, but I can't really help you with the with the other stuff because I just don't know, you know, I'm not not super well versed in that. There's so many um, t- numbers now that didn't exist years ago when I ran them last, you know. So, I mean, I, I hear I hear the boys talking about, oh, we're gonna throw this new no- the, whatever number on, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, um, anyway, that's the tire thing, you know. But let's talk a little bit about some of your racing history. You know, like I remember the Scott Carpenter thing. And, you know, I've got a lot of comments today about um, John Hayner. Mm, yeah. That was a big dude. I remember he's a big dude. But there was a guy, um, I can't remember, let's see if I have it in the notes who the guy's name is. Um, I, I didn't write down his name. But basically, there was a guy talking about, like, what do you think the difference is or how beneficial is it to be a bigger rider? than a small writer or vice versa. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously we saw Alvaro Bautista just ruin everybody at Superbike, right? So. So, um, yes, John was a big dude. Um, yeah. John would lie to me and tell me how much he weighed, but I kind of knew. And uh, he how put, he, he put one of our junky Superbikes, which were, you know, pieced together hot rods compared to, you know, the factory bikes. Uh, he put one on the front row at VIR, probably weighing every bit of 230 pounds. So, dude, he and makes Hayden Gillum look small. Hayden Gillum, who was also riding fantastic this year, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but Hayner, again, probably one of the most natural, he was the most naturally talented rider I've ever worked with. Whoa. Uh, like I have the privilege of working with Chaz Davies, is probably the most accomplished rider I've ever worked with, and Chaz was immensely talented, but Chaz put in an enormous amount of work. 
John was all hmm. full gas. Like just so. So going back to the question, uh, size and weight of the human, and what is the advantage? Um, being really big is difficult. Um, weight or load is traction, but mass is going to, you still have to slow, accelerate, and turn the mass. So the weight is a disadvantage on all three components of what the motorcycle does. If you're really, really small and really light, you know, we use Petrosa as an example all the time. Um, it accelerates really good. It doesn't consume tires as much. It stops really good. Uh, but you can't get your mass away from the center line mm. because you got short little stumpy little arms and legs. Key, that's key me, arms. by the way. Yeah, that's me, by the way. Right? I, I can only get my center mass so far away because we, we, we move our mass to control traction. Or, you know. And so we'll go back and reference Chaz, who is like, 6'1", and weighs like 130 pounds. In my opinion, that is ideal. Chaz can move his mass way far away from the center line of the, of the motorcycle, has all kinds of manipulation of, of the, uh, with his weight of the attitude of the motorcycle without having a lot of total mass to be a disadvantage in acceleration, deceleration, or turning. Hmm. So... All right, so I'm, I'm reading the comments some more, man. Like, I'm going to shift gears again and go back to the tire thing. Okay. I'm just going to kind of read some of the comments really quick. Um, yeah, so Mike C is um, – well, no, I'll go back to Evo. He's got a couple questions. But uh, Evo says his problem with the slicks are the compound choices. With a Q, you know, I, I don't have to worry about temp throughout the year. They work great all year from 45 to 100-degree days. I guess that's the Q tire. And then I agree. Um, Mike C is saying that there's a bit of a Dunlop slash Pirelli war developing in the into Wira Endurance Series and the 200, the Daytona 200. So True. Yeah, true then, story. And then Evo, he asks if I'm running Pirellis on my bicycle. And um, yes. Yes, I have Pirelli <laughs> uh, tubeless tires on my road bike. Yes. No, um, the <laughs> uh, Dunlop has been a fantastic supporter of the uh, N2 Endurance Series. Um, between Dunlop, N2, and uh, Yamaha US, we were able to you know, and it, you know, uh, generate $135,000 purse for a five-race series. Oh, wow. So we paid out a significant amount of money and... Uh, the cool part about that investment by Dunlop is they didn't go and sponsor this guy and that guy and this guy. They provided money for everybody, essentially, who was racing. That's cool. You know, we paid back to, to, to seventh. But they also supported riders and teams in the series. And, uh, you know, Pirelli came out and raced with Army of Darkness, who is uh, business partner Chris Paris, yeah. uh, one of my best friends, Ben Walters. And, uh, uh, Cody Wyman rode for him this year, and um, they ended up winning the championship on Pirelli's. Yeah. And uh, Dunlop had no issue with that whatsoever mm. because, I mean, in their wisdom, that's good for the sport. Yeah. 
competition is good for the sport. Yeah. Other, other tire manufacturers coming in and supporting teams in the series is good for the series. Yeah, absolutely. It's good for their investment. Absolutely. I mean, how wise and unselfish is that from a from a corporate company like that? It's just yeah, fantastic. I mean, look, you know, um, obviously they're the spec tire in Motor America, but Daytona ended up being like an open thing, right? And so if you look at last, this past year, Daytona was a Pirelli podium sweep, right? They were, but there's some caveats to that too. I mean, is there? I mean, there was other people that could have been. I mean, it ended up. Say a what if shit? Are you seriously going? Yeah, I guess. I guess you're gonna do the Mighty Mouse versus Superman thing on me. The the Dunlops were not uncompetitive. No, there was not a situation where. It, those three guys finished on the podium, but they didn't finish on the podium by, you know, a million miles. It was like, you know, I mean, Hayes was right there. Who was it? Does anybody ever talk about racing in that way anywhere? Oh, I I do when we're talking about the competitiveness oh, of the tire. Your mouth. You only talk about that when it's not your guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, if it was my guy, then I'd be like, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. It, if it was my guy, I would be like, well, it was the rider, and it was the crew, and it was the motor. And yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so, no, I, 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 I mean it, in, a, in a series that's a spec, a spec tire series, it's refreshing to see a little bit of a war going on at the Daytona 200. I, well, you know, right, hopefully that's I'll like just throw this out there. To come. I, well, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I lived through the bad old days. And I have I was sponsored by Pirelli in uh, 05, 06 and uh, to run Superbike and I, just an enormous amount of resources that they poured into our program. Super appreciative, but there was no beating Dunlop at that point by anybody. Michelin showed up, tried to do it. Pirelli showed up, tried to do it. It just wasn't going to happen. It was a Dunlop spec series, whether people could get sponsorship right. or not. Um and not an unknown secret, but people were choosing, tire companies were choosing who were winning races. Oh, 100%. People got tires who didn't, Dude, and even other at people the didn't get tires. Shit was happening. And, right? and so, uh, and I, it is my belief, I know that there's other people who don't necessarily believe this, but it is my belief that that is not happening in the current spec tire environment in, in Moto America. I don't believe that they're playing paying favorites. Um, you know, I think you need to check your date codes and I think you need to balance your tires and all that good stuff, but you needed to do that anyway. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, because that guy's got a tire that was built in April and you got a tire that was built in May does not mean that anything nefarious was going on. Nefarious was going on, just they pulled it out of the truck, right? Um, so to that end, where I'm going with this is that the spec tire rule has created, although has raised the cost, has created a situation where anybody can win. And well, I, you that know, I didn't think, exist before. I, I think where I'm where I'm going with that is that um, it seems like there's so many so many expense related to the tire thing, 
And if you could eliminate that by opening it up and allowing sponsorship to happen with some teams, there'd be maybe more teams showing up on the grid. I don't know. There, it's like... I, I totally understand. Scale, right? Like, I, you know, I, I don't know what your priority is. I'm just saying that it maybe it should be like a spec tire series where all the brands can um, have a spec that they have to... Everybody comes with a soft, medium, hard, and that's all you get. I, I have seen all the proposals. Yeah. And I would love for somebody to come up with something. You know, I'm, I'm not currently being paid to do that. Yeah. For, for Moto America. Um, but, I don't you know... I don't know I'm just talking No, but, but talking you know what I mean? Like, I would love to see a situation like that. I mean, like, like I said, I was sponsored by Pirelli to go race, pro race and stuff, and it was fantastic. We... we t- uh, we showed up at Mid Ohio one year, and Matt Lynn and John Hayner were the riders, and we did we were running Superbike and Superstock, uh, so we had eight GSXR 1000s, and uh, they brought it was something they gave us our spec sheet at the beginning of the weekend, and it was like eight fronts and eleven rears was what we had to choose from, and we were there that was back when the old promoter practice, so we were yeah. there Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and at the end of the weekend, uh. I think it was Matt had used 51 tires and John had used 49 tires. <laughs> now, it, you know, that was all part of the sponsorship. But imagine what that looks like in a stack. Oh, dude. Yeah. Because I got, because I went around the back of the Pirelli truck and, and they put all, because all of our stuff was special. You know, it's all back there. And we're like, yeah, that's your pile from this weekend. And I'm sitting here like, with like, raw hands and like worn out tire warmers and generators going i I can imagine i mean it's just enormous like that was fantastic stuff but we had no chance to win Hmm. i got a i got a commenter here uh jc the motorcycle upholstery dude is saying that um he just tested and ran the same times on the Pirellis and the Dunlops at Chuck Walla recently. So he's like, eh, they're just round black things, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of people are like, um, you know, depending on how you are as a rider, it's just a matter of what you you like the feel of. I mean, particularly yeah. the difference between the Pirelli front and the Dunlop front. Like, they're pretty different. Yeah. Rear is not that big a deal, but the fronts are pretty different in feel. And, some people go faster on one a tire that feels this way. Would somebody yeah, go faster on tires that way? I'm just saying, from a sponsorship perspective, really, you know, it'd be cooler to make that available. So, you know, some of the teams that are club racers that might want to j- bump up could continue running what they're running and bump up. You know what I mean? If the sanctioning body could figure out a way to make it fair and equitable for everybody on the grid. Not in terms of budget or any of that stuff, but in if you if everybody has all the money they need that they could get the same equipment as that guy, then yeah, sure, go for it. I'm down. Well, it's not like today is not like it was before, where you know Dunlop would ship in tires from England or with Japan or whatever. They're making them right there at Buffalo, dude. Like that's mm-hmm. the tire. Mm-hmm. So you know, mm-hmm. keep that be the tire and bring in the other stuff, and it might work. I'm, again, I'm not opposed to it as long as it could be. Anyway, so you um, you've been involved in the racing thing too a lot. I, I do remember hanging out with you in your 
rig or whatever at Fontana when you were doing the thing with Chaz Davies, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. tell me a little bit about that because like, if I recall correctly, this might be – well, except for that guy in maybe 15, I think that was like the last time Aprilia had like an official effort over here, right, on big bikes? I, I don't think they ever had an official. I think it was just Rocky's oh, okay. 250 thing with Chuck Sorensen. Other than that, I don't think they ever – I mean, it was just that that one year in yeah. in '09, and that was a multi-year deal that that there was a clause in our contract. So the way it was supposed to work, the the RSV4 was coming out the next year. Yeah. And they said, "Well, we have this opportunity. We can race the twin, which was the RSV1000 twin, in in this Daytona Sport Bike class. Like we we they've made it so it's legal in there, and we don't care about selling any of these things." And nobody's ever used it for a race bike ever. Uh, <laughs> some people, there were some some people at Piaggio who worked in the demo program that had used it in a, as in in World Endurance, but nobody knew anything about it. We, uh, Gigi Delinia, who was you know the famous boss of Ducati now, uh, was was at Aprilia then, and we called Gigi and he said. Uh, yes, we need information on how to make this into a race bike. He goes, no, nah, that is not the race bike. That is, that is street bike. And throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we spent an enormous amount of time trying to turn that thing into a turn into a race bike, and it was, you know, decently competitive. Towards the end, we got a couple podiums um, with it, you know. And uh, Chaz and, and Aaron Gobert as the riders. Uh, ben Thompson wrote it for a little bit too. And uh, super fun year. And uh, then they sent us um, a bunch of RSV4s to start developing because we're going to race Superbike the next year. And there was a, a clause in our contract that was like the global economic meltdown clause that just happened to happen. <laughs> and basically, Piaggio said, yeah, you can keep those bikes, but we're not doing anything else. That sucks. And so. <laughs> yeah. So we built all those. We built all those RSV4s. Uh, we built them for customers. Oh, so did you? We built one for for Pete. Uh, we built a, a big bore one. You know, Millennium Overboard, and we of course we made some ridiculous amount of horsepower and carbon yeah. fiber wheels and bodywork and all this stuff. And it was fun bike to ride. Yeah, and then you know, I mean, um, I think it's uh, that. Who was it? Oh. It's Ricky Bobby saying that it was Claudio Cordy in 15. Um, oh, the, yeah, the thousand stock super stock. Yeah, that was HSBK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stock thousand, okay. right? I, yep. Yep. And they were, dude, that guy was competitive. I was hoping to see them step up into Superbike because. Well, that, that, from what I understood, it's basically the same story. Yeah. yeah. The economy shits itself and they run. So that's a clause. <laughs> You know the the Italians are uh, you know the Italians are interesting to do business with. You know so they just have a different way of doing business. And the Aprilia, you know, like Ducati Corsa or Aprilia Racing are standalone businesses. You know they have to. Uh, they're not like a, a department of Ducati. They're standalone businesses. They have to generate revenue and and you know generate money to maintain their their staff and. And that sort of stuff, and so that's how those operations work. Hmm. Okay, so you uh, and and you've done a, you've done a little bit of uh, you've done a little bit of club racing, right? 
Um, sure, a little bit. You you did some endurance racing this past year, yes or no? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit yep. about no, that. It, the, the endurance series is fantastic, and and we tell people all the time. I mean, it it is the is the best way to get track time in a, in a you know in a, in a race environment. And the best part about endurance is you get to go grab three or four of your buddies and share the cost. You know, you, we're all going to pitch in and pay for entries. We're all going to pitch in for pay, to pay for tires. We're all going to pitch in, pay for gas, and let's all go out and have fun. And it's fantastic. We created this a uh, couple uh, couple years ago. Uh, maybe it was last year. We created uh, the relay class in endurance. Oh, like a and basically what tag it, team? Yeah, you... Yeah, so you know, me, you, and, and Ricky Bobby here, are, we're going to race endurance, but you don't want us to ride your pretty bass boat looking R1, and I don't really want Bobby to ride my R6. But you know what? We'll get the three of us together, and we'll go endurance racing. And instead of changing fuel and tires, we'll come in and we just change transponders. Okay. And it has been super successful. And what it's done is it's gotten a lot of people who are either doing track days or doing or club racing to try endurance. And then they go to do it with three of their buddies and they go, man, this is fun. let's go build an endurance bike next year. Yeah. I mean, why, I mean, I was actually just talking to a dude about this today and the partners CRA, you know, we, we were talking about doing a round last year and trying to do an endurance, like a four hour or something. And, and we're, that's still kind of on the table, but, why do you think there's not really endurance racing in California? I don't know. Uh, I know that the it's hard to get started because the barrier of entry is tank, dry brake, dump can, quick change. And you got to have that stuff to really do an endurance bike. And then you kind of have to have one guy who's willing to, we're going to build one bike, go do this, and you knuckleheads might crash it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like something like that might work. You know, we did this tag team challenge thing back in the day where it was like, you know, you use your own bike, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, you come in, the pit stop is, you, you know, you've got the guy sitting there with the bike with the tank of gas in it, and the, new, the one guy comes in, the pit stop is literally changing the transponder from one bike to the next. Yeah, yeah. You think that that's what we're doing. Work? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, it might be a great way to start. I mean, um, you know, we had pit race this last year. We had 78 teams. Yeah, how many? It was 78 teams. 78 teams and what like i'm curious like what what is a what does it cost to enter an endurance race like that 500 bucks it's 500 bucks okay wow that's a healthy that's a healthy day right there <laughs> but you know 2500 dollars a win you know i uh, would pay back to seven that was for two endurance races though so we were in a four hour and a two hour we were in a two hour for the little bikes oh okay that's that's fair so r3s and and 400s are in a so that was that was both of them was seventy eight teams. Oh wow! But I mean, we've seen fantastic growth in that series. Looking forward to growing it more. Wow! I'd really like to build a Halo round with that. You know, our own little Indy five hundred or twenty four hours a day town. Oh, that'd be something. You know. Yeah. No, I don't want to do a twenty four. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about doing something crazy at night in the summer. You know, 
Yeah. That'd be kind of neat. I mean, I haven't I haven't really seen that out on this side of the country since Weira used to come out and do the the Weira National at Willow, right? Yeah, the twenty four hour at Willow. Yeah, I think I I was I think I was supposed to do that and then I got injured, <laughs> like right before. So. I've never done it as a motorcycle race, but I did it one time at the twenty four hours of Daytona for a car race. Okay. And it was the most miserable experience of my life. Like the pit stop windows were every 45 minutes. And so it just, as soon as you were done, you would get ready for the next one and sit down for 10 minutes and then they'd, they'd be coming back in. Like, and it was cold and it was raining and it was awful. Well, the Willow Springs one was like in the summertime. It was like yeah. 100 degrees. Right. Yeah. And so the nighttime, I mean, it's still shorts and flip flops all night. Right. And, um, you know, I kind of remember seeing um, the bikes and the, the lights on the bikes and crazy spotlights and shit. Like, it, it was it was kind of nuts, you know? And the times some of those guys were able to do out in the dark at Willow were insane. Like, just, you know, Stamboli showed up with, like, that R71 thing, you know? Yeah. Like Graves, I, I think, had something. I mean, it was... Yeah, was Steve Rapp out there on... Uh... Graves bike? It might have been a Corona bike. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. Corona team. Uh, yeah, they're, back when there used to be beer and, you know, tobacco sponsorship. <laughs> the interesting part about that Corona sponsorship is that it was all retail-based. Was it? That sponsorship was almost 100% based around the idea of them putting display bikes in grocery stores and gas stations around the event. Huh. What they care that. about. I mean, back then it was like, you know, there's a lot of like out of the industry stuff that we don't see anymore, right? Like Hooters used to sponsor a team, you know. A couple things. Uh, first and foremost, eyeballs. And the other thing that I think goes a little bit deeper into the topic, but the little bit other thing that I believe with with the sport, the racing side of things, is back then. It was headed this way. And so advertisers, sponsors, marketing folks were like, hey, well, this is what is this thing? Oh, this is new. This is interesting. Yeah, let's do let's throw some dough at this. And then it went, you know, with everything. And now it's kind of going back the other uh, the other way. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I've worked with through all the AMA Pro, DMG, Moto America, work with all the different regimes. And these yeah. dudes are by far the best. Yes. People will argue with me, but they're by far the best. And <clears throat> they're doing a great job, but the problem is they're not, it's not new. And quite frankly, this is why I love the bagger thing and even the Royal Enfield thing. Dude, I like the hooligans. The hooligans. The, the, hooligans. the only thing they do with, do with the hooligans is open it up. Like, yeah, I mean, Roland's got a. You know, at CRA, we kind of stole the hooligans class rules, basically. And we have a class at CRA that if you have a hooligan bike, you can come race. It's called Ruffians. <laughs> oh, how, how innovative. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a. We have the normal hooligans size stuff, but then we have hooligans heavy, too. So, you know, bigger naked upright buyers' bikes can come and ride, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see them expand that. I mean, you go back to 
the formula of the sport bike, 600 or 1,000, they look the same, certainly look the same on track. They're basically doing the same thing. There's nothing really new or interesting. I mean, that's why the bagger thing was so good is because visually it was like, what is what that? What the hell is that thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I mean, you don't want to go off the rails and, and come up with crazy stuff where you go, oh, we're going to put a jump on the front straight. <laughs> but you need to do stuff that's interesting. Yeah. That will drive that will drive eyeballs, and eyeballs will drive marketing. Will drive I mean, it, it seems like the eye, there's a lot more eyeballs than there were. Um, mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, mm-hmm. they're, I think they're doing good work with that Live Plus thing. Um, Agreed. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely getting a lot of a lot of new faces because of that. Um, yep. And quite frankly, man, like, is the action just not that good? Like, I mean, well, last year was pretty good. Like last year was in Superbike was pretty good when when Jake would crash, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, or breakdown or whatever it was. Like it it made it like it, you know it the championship went down to the wire right last round. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's super how cool would listen if you'd have uh, if you'd have made it uh, junior cup as the premier class, you'd have got a lot more eyeballs. You, think? you know, I mean, or twins cup, or but yeah, I mean, the racing was was fantastic. It wasn't just Jake beating the brakes off everybody. Yeah, that's fair. I mean. All right, and so it's been years man, this of this. Dude, with this dude asked, he commented this earlier, and now he's commenting it now. Um, <laughs> so, he, uh, first of all, he's he did respond to um, the bearded jixer, um, Brian Green. Um, bearded jixer says, "Ooh, Stamboli loves the baggers." So um, that's kind of oh. funny. But oh, then wow. you know, uh, Brian Green's asked wants to know like. In your mind, between track days, um, what's the difference between the track days from like five years ago to now? Hmm. I don't know. Five years ago to now, they're a bit more organized. I would say. I mean, doing a better job of getting pe- new people in, mainly because more new people are showing up, so you have to come up with those solutions. Um, you know, and two, our novice group is is very welcoming very you know put crs with people and do a little mentorship and, and some you know rudimentary classroom stuff and i think that's doing a better job of when new people show up they're not as intimidated and lost and and you know do dumb stuff so i think that's good um they sell out more <laughs> i mean um i don't know track days have been pretty stable uh Stable growth, uh, what track days do typically better than club race organizations is treat their customers like customers instead of like children. Fair. I think the one thing that that I do, I, I mean, my program does, is we try to, you know, yeah, there's a set of rules. You know, you got to follow the fucking rules. But at the same time, we also realize this is supposed to be fun. And that's the one piece that some forget about, you know? So I, I, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, I've seen that quite a bit, you know, that down, talking down to people and, yeah. you know, 
on, on the club race side yeah, of things. I mean, and... you, you show up, you fuck up, you break a rule or something, and then there's some dude in your face like that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, acting like you broke that, the cookie jar. That that's your last that's your last memory of that event, right? And was that fun yep. for you? I don't probably not, right? So probably not. Yeah, it's like the one way conversation know, is like, hey man, this you did this. You're supposed to do this. Does it, does what you did make sense? You know. And then and then like, dude, I totally fucked up. My bad. You know, like I I don't know. Like I I don't. There's no. Um, there's nothing accomplished by yelling at somebody, right? Well, whenever you, from a business point of view, whenever you yell at or argue with your customers, you lose. <laughs> Even if you win the argument, yeah, you lose. And so, I don't know. I mean, when when back in the the good old days, you know, when uh, when I was riding around with Scott Carpenter learning how to club race, and you could show up at a Suzuki Cup race and win ten grand. Or you show up at a Suzuki contingency race and win five grand. And Scott had a, maybe it was a 2,750 or 2,150 that uh, Suzuki told us when we got the new one. We got an 04, that new chassis when it came out. Yeah. They told us that that VIN number made $129,000. Like that... 750 chassis that we had made $129,000. Wow. So when you're showing up and you're making decent money doing contingency and, you know, the, the tech guy comes over and yells at you, the corner worker comes over and yells at you, you know, you go, screw that guy. And then you walk over and count your money. <laughs> it's a different situation than when you just paid three grand to make nothing. Right. And some guy comes over and yells at you for it. And you go, oh, you know, it sure is a lot more fun to go do track days. Wow. Nobody yells at me at track days. Well, I mean, I don't know. The racing stuff even, you don't, I don't really get yelled at. I don't think anybody really gets yelled at there anymore either, man. Like those days are long it, gone. You know, I, I, I've seen it, you know, different clubs different around the country. Yeah. You know. I just think of the different. classic Tom Sarah clotheslining that dude, right? Like this. <laughs> I mean, you know. That's a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that from the past that would never fly today, right? So um, I just, it's a, it, this sport that we all love and enjoy is supposed to be fun. You know, that's, that's my big thing. It's like, dude, are you having fun? If you're not, what the fuck are you doing? Like, go back to work, you know? <laughs> what, an, what an enormous amount of, of, time and money and effort if you're not having a good time all right so the last thing i'm uh, you know you 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 and i both are uh, members of the broken back club um your um <laughs> chair member compared to me um you have hardware and stuff but um fancy you know have you have you been back on a motorcycle since are you back yet uh no well, i i Fell off in August, and I'm gonna ride at Homestead in two weeks. Okay, so, so we're doing we're we're doing a really cool event at Homestead. We're uh, we'll be the school will be there the 19th and 20th, and Tuesday the uh, 21st, 22nd. Yeah. Um, so four days. It's gonna be 80 degrees in Miami. It's gonna be stuck everywhere else except for maybe Dustin's house. No, dude, it's okay, cold but, here in the desert. It's wonderful. Uh, desert. But it's it 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 is the We've started doing it two years ago. It is the best trip. Like 
the best part is being like on Instagram and like all your homies are shoveling snow and like hating life and you're down at South Beach and you just got done riding motorcycles for four days and like so so no I'm gonna go ride then I mean I, I went I coached some schools but just done classroom stuff and then like you know ride out to the corner okay <laughs> to go to so, a pointy end or a breaking job but not right like what what's your what? plan what uh, god damn it we write that on gas tanks at school um what's your plan for coming back? Like, you know, that's a big question. A lot of people have like coming back from a big injury, like big crash like that, massive injury, you know, Epic hospital picks and x-ray picks and stuff like, you know, what, what's your plan of action of coming back? Like how is chip going to return to being the track guy? Like what? Hmm. It's the same plan that you kind of have all the time anyway you ride within your capacity right you ride within your comfort zone um you know the speed will come as confidence and uh, you get more confident you get more comfortable the speed will come you just don't i don't rush it anymore i have no reason to to get in a hurry you know right. i've been very fortunate like i said uh, whatever 23 years of doing this i've hurt myself four times right uh I broke uh, my pinky, and then I tore the same pinky off. Oh, dude, that's a good Gangster. one. You win, bro. Um, just, I mean, everybody's got messed up pinkies, <laughs> but I, I smashed that one off. Um, I broke some ribs and collapsed a lung, uh, and then I broke my neck the other day. <laughs> so um, four times falling off a motorcycle, four times, four times hurt myself. You know, I'm pretty lucky, but I have come back and, and rode after – a significant injury yeah. before so uh I, just, I, but i mean i it's just also... something everybody asks you know like ken hill yeah you know ken hill i did the podcast with him like a couple weeks ago right and uh he said that he takes the emotion out of it and just goes and does this thing you know like you know you have the fundamentals just go do that right or yeah and the 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 reason i fell down uh although essentially my fault because I'm the passing rider. So it's my responsibility to make a safe, reasonable pass. But I was out in a morning practice and there was a person out there that, that it was their first day out there in that group. And they did a really erratic thing and I fell down avoiding them. Uh, oh, they didn't fall down until they like, went off track and hit the front brake. Yeah. But, um, but uh, it wasn't something that was, it was a very fluke situation. I was passing this person, and if it would have been two tenths of a second later, it it wouldn't have mattered, you know. And so you just kind of have to put it put it behind you. And I'll be honest, like uh, I've already spoke with with Kyle. Kyle Wyman's a good friend of mine. I've already spoke with Kyle about it. And quite frankly, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to him and depend on him to kind of help kind of coach me through it as well. Because when Kyle falls down and gets hurt, you know, when he falls fall down and broke his elbow and had played it together, yeah. he doesn't get to go back and ride around to the school like I do, or get to ride around at the track and go, All right, I'm gonna go out in the session, I'm just gonna be comfortable and you know, Kyle's gonna go out there and qualify the next time he rides. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I get I have a lot of people with a lot of wisdom and experience around me that I can reach out and work with and yeah. talk to. And um, yeah, you just Kind of go about it the same approach that you do every time you get on the motorcycle, just understanding I have a different capacity at this moment. 
Well, you might not. Right. I mean, I, I think, you, you know, you might you might not have a different capacity. You might go right back out and hit the same apex and be on online and be on. I, I, I think I think you're well, because the technique's still the same. Yeah. But I don't think the speed will be the same. Well, I mean, I'm just I, I'm just talking because based, my risk tolerance I'm is just not talking the same. based on me. Maybe I'm just three quarter tarted. But yeah. I, you know, I. <laughs> Like I, I just put the bro hand back together, right? And um, it wasn't even, you know, there was a couple of pieces still at the paint shop, but I took it anyway because I wanted to ride. And uh, first time on the thing, hadn't ridden since the end of July, that bike. And the first time I went through Riverside Corner, which is the corner I crashed in super fast, sweeping right-hander. Um, you've been there. Um, <laughs> you know, crashed to avoid smashing into the back of a, another racer. And um, my first lap on the new bike, I'm knee down 100% online, right through the same corner, no problem. And, you know, I did the same thing before uh, in 18 when I had the crash, broke my back, same thing. Next time out, first time through that corner, online, no no questions asked. Because you know where you got to be, and you know what caused the crash before, yeah. right? So yep. <clears throat> I just, you know, kind of... Extending on what Ken Hill said about taking the emotion out of it. Take the emotion out yeah, of it. Yeah, take the emotion out of it and just go by the numbers. You know, paint by the numbers on that. And uh, yeah. you'll be right back to where you were, man. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Right. The good news is I don't, like I said, I you know, I don't kind of have to worry about it. Uh, I think that uh, even at a diminished pace you know even if it was just yeah. a little bit slower i could still do everything i can still have a good time on a motorcycle yeah and i can still help a lot of people you know oh yeah go faster and, and gain co confidence on a motorcycle so you know the um I, I don't have the same pressures as somebody like like kyle and so that's relaxing yeah. uh, you know that at least for me the the uh and we talk about it all all the time in the school is uh you know i i do best when i'm when I'm relaxed, oh, yeah. when I'm not stressed out or anything like that, I, I go the fastest thing. And we talk about things like, uh, you know, the, if you just get better at the technique, then the motorcycle will work better. You'll be more confident. You'll be more comfortable. And then you'll inevitably just go faster because you're more confident, more comfortable. And isn't that, isn't that a lot really calming and relaxing that you don't have to go all hairball to go fast. You just have to do everything right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let's see, bearded jixer. Like, I got a couple of questions. Actually, no, it's not bearded jixer. It, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, well, Evo's got another question, and Brian Green's got another question. So um, one of them is to kind of talk shit a little bit. Mm. Um, and the other one is for both of us, actually. Um, Brian Green's question is from both of us. Um, how do you handle being taken out at a track day? I've seen it happen, and that incident wasn't discussed. Um, I've had it happen to me before. Me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got. No, I was coaching a race. I, I was at a track day. I was coaching in the intermediate group, and uh, you know, did the polite thing. There was three people slowing in front of me for a right hand corner. And, and the next Sneaky Hayden on an SV650 came in and just, he hit me so hard, this handlebar went through the radiator. And uh, I was 
pissed. And I went and stomped over there in the gravel trap to go have words with him. And he pulled his helmet off and he was a kid. Oh, man. And I felt bad. <laughs> I felt bad. And you were going to go beat this too. guy up and then it was a kid. <laughs> I would probably already would beat him up. You know what I mean? But I was, we we're going to have words. And I, I mean, look, it, it, I think it's interesting when people get up, up, really upset about this kind of things. Uh, maybe it's just this weird assumption of risk for me. But like, I mean, it's the same way with equipment. Like, don't even show up at the racetrack with something you're not prepared to throw in the garbage. Yeah, uh, I, I've told people maybe that a, a variation of that forever. You know, I mean, the moment you moment you roll that thing out of the truck, you better be ready to throw the thing in the trash. I mean, yeah, and I mean, I don't want to get hit by anybody. I mean, I'll, and I'll tell you this much too. Like after that incident where that kid hit me, I uh, I had a conversation with with Nick about it, Nick Einach. And uh, we were talking about these kind of things and about how every time a motorcycle hits the ground, it's your fault. And every, in, we're kind of going around this, and I used an example, and he goes, all right, well, did you drop a foot off when you got in that brake zone? You knew you were slow. You knew you were overslowing that corner, but did you do anything else to indicate that you were overslowing that corner? Um, no, it's sure didn't. Like that. <laughs> but I mean, if you, if you're, you know, the technical rider, you know, if you're, if you're analyzing, and I really believe that every time a motorcycle hit the ground, I could have done something oh, different 100%. to prevent it. Hundred yeah. percent. And so, uh, like you it know, if not. you just go back and look at that, and even when it gets taken out, you could, what could I have done different? Yeah. And don't do that again. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I kind of have the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm. You kind of take the emotion out of it, first of all. You know, uh, last year I had a, I had an electrical problem um, that shut my bike off basically before I even knew it. I was like, what the hell? Like while I'm going looking down, I'm like what the hell? I got smashed from behind, and the poor guy that hit me, you know, he ended up leaving in the helicopter. And yes. uh, oh, dude, I was like super worried about the dude. Like I was the first one on the scene because. Yeah. Yeah. You were in the gravel with yeah. it. Yeah. So you know, I'm like, hey, you know. Hey, wake up! And um, you know the dude ended up leaving, and I ended up talking about uh, talking to him like a, a week later or something like that. And um, the dude was so apologetic for smashing into me. I was like, dude, I don't give a shit about that. Like, I'm just glad that you're talking to me instead of not. You know? So, I mean, I think. Um, well, also in life, I'm I'm big on intention. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. And if I'm nobody wants to fall down. Yeah. Nobody wants to hit no, you. No, man. Nobody if, wants to if, purposely smash you, right? And I guess there's a scenario where somebody purposely runs into you, and in that scenario, that's different. But other than that, like, have a little grace. Consider other people's intentions. Yeah. I think th I think that's the way you handle it, you know? I mean, if it, certainly you could be upset because you're going to spend a bunch of money fixing it and hopefully you're not injured. Right. But you know, mm -hmm. either way you're going to have to repair your own stuff and that person's going to have to repair their own stuff. And they're going to have to learn from that mistake that they made that or, or whatever. And you just gotta, you just gotta let it go, man. It's not the, it's you don't not, see it um, much in the club race, you don't club race community, but you do see it in the track day community where they, they talk about stuff like that. Where, oh yeah. Oh, well, if he, if he knocks me down, you're just going to pay for my bike, right? Yeah. Or fix my bike. Yeah. No, man, you both willfully rode out on that racetrack. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, we've had over the years, we've had a few, um, a few insurance companies try to sue the other guy and stuff. And um, I'm actually going to talk about that tomorrow night. But cool, uh, um, they, you know, they try to go after the other guy or whatever, and you know, because it's always the other guy's fault. And um, I send the insurance company a copy of their waiver, and they're like, "Okay, thank you very much," and then it goes away. Yeah, how nice that. Um, it's interesting how that kind of works out, right? Um, there's just a perception, I think, from some people at, in that world because it's that way on the street. It's it's the other guy's fault. Yeah, and yeah they, sure. You yeah, know, yeah. Sweet, I just won the lotto, right? So, you know, that's the well. It's of, also it's, yeah. it, it's also a cultural thing too. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say it in this country, but nothing is anybody's fault ever. Right. Okay. Somebody's always to blame. This is this go. is the closing thing. This is I'm gonna All allow right, go. you the opportunity to talk a little shit if you can. Um, what the fuck happened to Nesba? What happened with Nesba? They were I, like to be huge honest, company. I... They ran track days. They were Yamaha factory. They were mega. To quote the Panda Gas podcast dudes. Mega. Yeah. Uh, they were huge. They were everywhere. And now they're nothing. And there's this in two thing that's kind of like Nesba 2. Is that right? Yeah. I think that's kind of was, was the intention there. You know, I, I wasn't around when the M2 Nesba takeover. Well, you were around. So I, I, you just weren't around them. I, mean, I wasn't around them. Right. right. So I don't have the inside, the inside scoop. On, I, I guess what I don't have is the inside scoop on what happened with Nesba. Um, I know that there was some, some definitely some bad blood with some of the racetracks because I've had to, you know, talk to some of those people, and, um, you know, I clearly they they weren't doing it right, and then so it looked the way I understand it. And I'm going to speak out of turn just based on my my understanding. So if any of the N2 owners or or you know anybody wants to call and correct me, that's fine. But the way I understood it was Nesbo's falling apart. And there was a group of control riders, essentially, a bunch of people that rode and were, were way into it, hanging out with these guys. And they said, well, that's what falls apart. Where are we going to go ride? And well, why don't we buy it? And so what they ended up doing is basically uh, acquiring what we would refer to as track equity. So the dates, you know, all the contracts for the – for those dates and then and then grew it from the ground up but like what is into now has really nothing to do with nesba like okay other than it was some people that used to ride with them that were gonna have no place to ride okay okay fair enough and there's probably some good shit talking that I just don't know, and yeah. there's probably some like I mean, good I, stories sure that that's I just don't know. I'm sure the nature of the question, right? But just yeah. uh, you know, like Ron Burgundy over here, man, I'll ask anything, right? Yeah, sure. All right, Chip. Well, you know what? It's been a good chat, man. And uh, dude, we're like at fantastic. Hour, we're like at an hour and fifty, bro. So like, I gotta let this yeah, go. Yeah, it was a long one, huh? <laughs> um, it's good a long times, one. man. And you know, I hope to see you. Uh, at the track on the west coast maybe we'll actually get to ride together i'll make you do a two-up with me i will definitely not do a two-up with you <laughs> I, I i've had to do them before and they have enormous value i absolutely encourage anybody who comes to the school or with you guys 
to go do them, to be able to feel what uh, loading a motorcycle properly feels like and, and what smooth inputs feel like has enormous value. I've done it before. It, I have control issues. It's terrifying. I don't want to ever do it again. Copy that. Copy that. All right. Well, you know what, Chip? I'm going to let you go to bed because it's way past your bedtime. And, it is um, 11.22 here. Yeah, good times, buddy. Thanks for the chat. Seriously. Dude, thank you so much for uh, for having me on. Let's uh, let's figure out my uh, my school schedule and let's ride motorbikes. Yes, instead of just talking at some point. motorbikes. All right, Chip. Peace out, buddy. Later, buddy.